tell me if my sound is okay or if my microphone's banging or anything like that. Um, Mine at the moment. Yeah. Definitely call it. I'm gonna also just get this squeaky toy off the little man. I'll be just okay. one minute. I'm just gonna well, thirty seconds. I'm just gonna do an indie like. <laughs> Sorry, swap it swap it for a trumpet that would be much better the offending article oh, that's great look at that proper proper dog I love it yes very nice <laughs> well good job <laughs> I, I bought it from one day and came home with it from work like a good daddy and um and I regret it. <laughs> it loves it too much. Yeah, there you go. There you bloody go. Nice. I like your T-shirt, by the way. I only see Yoda's top head. Nice. So it's actually nice. inside out, which you can't tell. I like. I put oh. it actually on basically upside down. <laughs> and then inside out, and I was like, oh, just forget about it. Forget. <laughs> nice. Well, I've taken off my socks, so I'm ready to pop. You know things are serious. All right, man. Let's just go for it, Sheps. If you're game, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm loving it. Oh, by the way, I I have no idea. Well, I guess I know what I'm going to suggest for the next one, but only because I have no idea what I'm going to suggest. So, Amazing. but yeah, yeah, I'll just throw that out there. It's like one that I thought of ages ago, and I've just sort of kept it on the back burner for just such an occasion where I'm like, okay, it can't be this because it's too similar to that. It can't be this because of this. So it's like, it's going to have to be that. I was desperately trying to think of something not from the 80s, and I am failing <laughs> miserably. It's, it's all 80s, man. Well, what can you do? I love it. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> um, all right, Sheps. Well, 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 welcome, dear listener, to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hello, I'm Sheppy. And we are the What If podcast for movie sequels and prequels and TV sequels and prequels as per today, Sheppy. We're, oh, yes. We're getting back into the, the square screen, although that's not even relevant anymore, is it, to the kids out there? Was there ever a square screen? I mean, even our chunky wooden husks, were they ever actually square? They were more kind of like weird deformed bubbles, weren't they? My chunky wooden husks. You're referring to the boxes upon which we uh, spent many, uh, many an hour as kids <laughs> with our noses pressed to the screen. Um, yeah, Shep. So I, I, last week I suggested that we try and tackle maybe that most holy, well, not most holiest of grails, but maybe most holiest of grails. I think maybe the, for me, from a comedy point of view, the giantiest giant that we're standing on the shoulder of so far, really. Yeah. Um, I, I balked. I, won't, I don't mind telling you when you told me. I was like, crikey. Like, you know, I was thinking at the time about Friends being like, well, I can't, you know, that's whether, whether you like Friends or not. It's like, well, you can't deny the very high success rate of quips and one-liners and things. I wouldn't, you know, even dare to try but this is on a totally different level. Um, well, what is it, Jimmy? This, Sheppy, is going to be an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm set anytime in Larry's, you know, fake faux history, if you like, mm. um, over the course of the, God, 20-odd years of Curb that we've had. Crazy. Crazy. And, uh, yeah. So it's, it is scary. I think, I was thinking about this, like, where, where are we on the sort of the, 
the scale of rubbish fan fiction sometimes. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, what we do sometimes is a little bit more like celebratory with a twist and a sprinkle and a bit of fun rather than really trying to dive in and have a fan wank, if you know what I mean. And just, oh, I know exactly what you mean. And, And I think I've probably gone too far down that road on this one. But you know who who cares really? I, yes. I think as long as we're having banter around it, I won't feel too self conscious. <laughs> well, no, that's fair enough. I'll say this: I'm very excited, and I will also say, and I think I mentioned this when you set it um, last time. But to be honest, it is actually, you know, I would never dare. You know, we're called shoulders of giants for a reason, and like you say, we're on step ladders, on step ladders, teetering on the utmost shoulder of giants but i'll say this um to be honest though this is this came together first of all for me because it's situations and you don't have to get into the nitty-gritty necessarily because i've seen what an actual script of curb looks like and it is just scenario and in this scene the characters have to get from a to b and but the dialogue and what happens in between it is you know improv so, so, I did, so that was like a, a big weight off, I have to say. But what I was also going to say from last time is I also have something in, I like locked and loaded actually from an incident in my past, which I, at the time I was like, this is a Larry moment. I didn't pursue it. And indeed, the real Larry David has said, I would never do what my on-screen persona does because then I'd be a sociopath. But it's, it's that you've always want to do that and you want, always want to confront certain situations and certain people, certain rules and blah, blah, blah. Um, and this was one of those moments with me from, I'm going to say like 2008 or so. Um, so. So I already had one and then I just thought, well, I'll, I'll just need to think up some more scenarios like that. And then in true Kirby style, hopefully sort of interweave them a little bit. Um, and I didn't quite end up doing that, but en- enough came together that, yeah, it-, it was actually a smoother process than I was very I much concerned. I can't wait, about. Shaki, for you. I cannot wait. <laughs> I, very excited. It was a great a quick, choice. We should probably do a quick what it means to us in a minute mm. as well, but I will say this too, which is that um, I typically don't have anything in the clip for us. You know, as I've said before a couple of times, I just the idea pops in there and I'm just really fascinated what you're going to come up with. This one, um, I did have a hidden agenda insofar as I remembered in the moment that I had had an incredible, like, world-beating Kirby situation that G and I had been talking about as a great, like, episode of Kirby. And we've been finessing that moment between the two of us, you know, just in terms of it was a hilarious thing that happened. Um, And it was probably a couple of months ago. And then when, (laughs) when it came to writing this, I hadn't written that moment down anywhere. I'd totally forgotten it. So I no longer had it in the clip. So frustrating. And so I just sort of, I got to the weekend and I was hoping it would just pop back in there and it hasn't popped back in there. So I just want the record to show that at some point in the middle of the night or middle of the pod, any pitch in the future, it might Mm. pop in there and I would just hold proceedings and say, Sheppy, do you remember I said ages ago about that curve? I just want to share it with you. So that will happen one day. Um, but uh, but then <laughs> <laughs> you'll be halfway through, like uh, Return of the Pink Panther returns again and returns 
pod and then you'll be like oh and by the way and then just go off on one about this curb idea okay. and everyone will be gobsmacked including myself <laughs> so that would be a nice treat so we ended I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about the process like and the terror with which i approached this at the weekend where we get to the pitches but um but Sheppy, what when i feel that you are um I, I remember at uni you were into your Seinfelds and I wasn't there yet. Um, but that that's sort of my understanding of it. And I but I might have come to curb before you. I don't know. Well, but, uh... I was thinking about this. Well, in terms of Seinfeld, and I've, I'm sure I've said this before, in England, Seinfeld was on at really weird times, and it was really, I don't know who dropped the ball there, but it really you know, Cheers was something I watched in the late 80s, early 90s, um, Friday night, nine o'clock, Channel 4, and, and various other things. Roseanne was on very constantly, and then later, a little bit later, Friends, you know, again, Channel 4, it was just on. Whereas Seinfeld was BBC Two, and it always changed the time, and it always changed the day, and it was always on at like 11.30 at night, and it was just not known, and it it's such a wasted moment in like 90s, like enjoyment for people in England, I think. And I don't think I'm, you know, I'm sure lots of people did watch it and know about it in England, but I was aware of it, but I didn't watch it. Like you say, it wasn't until university. Then I got really into it. And there was like, you know, a, a tape, you had like a VHS tape of like maybe, you know, maybe a season on PO. And that tape and those episodes, I'm going to say it was like season five, something like that, was watched so many times. Um, this tape was just like very, very, very well used. So there were certain episodes, like The Simpsons actually, of Seinfeld, that I'm, I'm really familiar with, and others less so. But we, Marta and I, re-watched all of Seinfeld like a couple of years ago, um, starting randomly with season four just because I had that DVD here and then we went right to the end and then we started from the beginning and went up to season four which was a very strange way of doing it um, but I yes yeah, so I, I got into Seinfeld very much at uni but I, I do think I, I got it I remember I watched Curb for the first time when you know let's put it this way season two hadn't been released yet on DVD at least in England when I saw season one. So I was on on point more or less. Oh, and nice. I was cool with Larry and I knew, you know, because I was so into Seinfeld and I knew that Costanza was essentially Larry and all this sort of thing. So, and I was in Leeds the first time I ever saw Curb. Um, and then it was maybe six months later, maybe, I don't know, but it wasn't that much longer when I got the box set and then when the new box sets came out for season two and three and so on, I would, I, I, I bought them and I watched them then. And that's when I was living in Guildford. And to the point where me and my friend, Steve, who we lived in this house in Guildford, we would often, we, we would watch uh, Curb all the time, but we would often try and watch at least one episode before going out on a night like, some people, you know, I don't know, listen to Bon Jovi to get themselves going, <laughs> or whatever the kids are into these days. You know, they're, they're Neil Sedaka. And so and to get all pumped up, what's a slap on the brute. Whereas um, we watched Curb and we walked into town with the kind of the Larry walk. And this not quite 
it's not a strut, but it's a very confident kind of bounce. And we kind of did that. And we were very much, you know, watching an episode or two before going into town, just sort of clicked our brains into that sort of position where we saw everything through a Larry prism and our reactions to just idiots in the pub and stuff were all, you know, everything was diluted and nice because we were seeing any potential annoying situation like, you know, some, you know, vacuous chick being served before us at the bar turned into a, you know, we were Larry and Jeff, we were both Larry and Jeff. And and so it worked. And so that that's a big part of Curb form. Uh, and so that's nice. Um, what, what about you, Jimbo? Well, I have to credit uh, my friend uh, Chippers because I stayed around his in uh, Bath. I want to say this is like 2005, maybe. And we have a big Saturday night out. And then over breakfast on Sunday, he's like, Jimmy, have you heard of this thing, Curb Your Enthusiasm? And I'd heard the name bounced around, not really. Mm. And we ended up watching the season three. I think it's episode one, but it's certainly early on uh, episode where Obviously, in season three, Larry's opening his restaurant with Ted Danson, and right. and the shirt basically gets exchanged between the two of them. And there's the whole gag right. with the shirt going in the bin at the end, and Ted about to get lynched. It's just a wonderful <laughs> little bubble. And I was just like, "What is this magic? What is this bloody show? It's straight into my veins. It's speaking to me." And I obviously <laughs> knew of Seinfeld, and but I'd never watched it. But I ended up essentially. Starting on, I bought the box set of Curb probably that night off Amazon um, and then um, ended up, you know, starting at the beginning and working through and then just have followed it ever since. And then at some point, I want to say probably about two years later, I then went and did Seinfeld. And the, and the two have sort of jostled for me in terms of for a good period there, Seinfeld was better and... I loved it, and I've got. I, New York is just a city I just love, and it just feels, you know, I love stuff set in New York when it's properly set in New York. Even though, of course, it's not set in New York; it was filmed in LA and all that. But anyway, yeah. bottom line, you know, it's got that vibe, isn't it? And it does. And and I, I just Seinfeld is like just wonderful, and you know, and, and so well crafted and written for the most part. And um, and then I think the um then Curb has sort of overtaken it a little bit and it's too just a little bit it's, in my love. And, yeah, yes. And I, I just, overall, though, I mean, I, I just, I've so much, I, it's always, my filter is always on, as you're saying there, like, you know, I'm always kind of, I, I spot things every day that, I, you know, that I think, oh, yeah, this could turn into a juicy little Curb moment. And there's something so, I can't put my finger on it, but I just... I'm gonna. I don't know. Like Larry David, for me, I think history will show he is one of the greatest comedic writers there will ever have lived. You know, and I, I just think that's wonderful, isn't it? It no. works. If I may, it it occurs to me that in terms of Seinfeld and Curb, um, obviously Jerry and Larry are, you know, hardcore proper stand-up comedians and you know it, most if not all of the humor in both shows 
come from observations of real life, like the dance and, and the shirt, and he's going to get lynched because he uses someone's wheelie bin. That's something that I'm sure everyone can really identify. You're eating <laughs> an apple and you drop the core in someone's wheelie bin and you sort of look around all furtively, like, am I going to get in trouble for this? And it's stuff like that. And, um, and that just that's a nice example that, yeah, all of it is that sort of relationship. And I'll also say that Seinfeld and Kerb, but Seinfeld has a real appeal for me in that the characters, the four main characters, are all essentially very selfish people. And I'm sure, you know, I'm generalizing hugely, but it seems that American sitcoms uh, and comedy in general, the characters essentially are good, whereas the most famous English comedy characters are essentially selfish and not good you know i mean they're not evil but you've got your brent and your faulty and your blackadder and your partridge and they're all very very self-serving and yeah. the humor is how they scupper themselves by being you know who they are even del um, boy yeah totally just, yeah i mean well i will say del boy has a huge heart um and he is essentially good he is flogging dodgy merchandise and so forth which probably won't work but he he has a big heart, whereas the others, That's you true. know, they're, they're, they're essentially, you know, very, very self-serving. You know, um, Del Boy would die for his family, uh, whereas Partridge would die for, like, some decent cheese and some Toblerone. <laughs> That's about it. So, you know, it's that sort of thing. But, yeah, so in any case, in terms of Seinfeld and Curb, they are essentially... Well, in terms of Curb especially, you know, Larry is hoisted by his own batard often. And the first few seasons, generally every episode, more or less, ends with Larry failing in some capacity. And at a certain point, and I guess it's actually the end of season three, it's the restaurant one, you think, you know, he's, he's totally scuppered again, but he turns it around. And the massive twist at the end of season three is that he kind of wins in, in his own little way. And then my favourite season, I believe, is season five, no, four, which is the producers. And that, for me, is it's always good, but that's that's my personal peak of enjoyment, is the producers' season. It's me too, and that is Nice. And again, you're fully, because he's earned, he earns his victory, because he's failed so much in the earlier seasons. And at the end of the producers, the twist that Mel Brooks is doing a producers to yeah. his own show, which is yeah. genius. And Larry, you know, you're just like, oh, he's he's doomed. But then the twist is he he, he pulls he pulls out of it, and Eddie wins essentially. He doesn't get his sex, well, you know, from someone else, but he uh, he, he wins on the stage, and it's great. Stephen Colbert's furious. So, yeah, um, so I love all of that, um, and it's all... I think it might be one of my favourite Jerry Seinfeld moments as well. Yeah, and he's, like, doing the pure Seinfeld, shaking his head, like, that's a shame. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. And that was before the Seinfeld season of Curb, so it, I believe that you'd had your... Um, your Costanza and and everyone else I think had popped up in the show like Jason Alexander and Louis Dreyfus and and uh, Michael Richards I think certainly 
Elaine and, and Costanza had popped up, but Jerry hadn't. And it was just this really quick shot and nothing else had been established about Jerry going or even talking to Larry. And it's just him in the audience being like, ooh, it's, it's, it's really, really, really satisfying. So I like all of that. <laughs> and also it's kind of telling you that Jerry is basically Jerry from the show. Seinfeld, <laughs> you know, um, which is genius as well. So I love all of that. <laughs> that's, that's great. So that's really what Seinfeld means to me. And I love all of the supporting characters. And I love his relationship with everyone. And some episodes I do like more than others, but generally for Curb, I do think it's, yeah, it's, it's gold star. I can never say if I prefer Curb to Seinfeld because they're similar, of course, but they're also very different. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I don't think it's whatever I'm thinking of at that exact moment. If I'm thinking of Seinfeld, then that's my favourite. And if I start thinking about Curb, then that immediately becomes my favourite. So it's, yeah, it flips. That's lovely, Sheppy. That's a wonderful, wonderful summary of it all. I agree with everything, man. I, I love it to pieces. I get so heavily involved and just find it rich. And I think, honestly, in season nine was a little wobble for me, but 10 and 11, I mean, by wobble, I'm talking like 4.5 yeah. stars. Sort of yeah. thing, you know what I, I mean? Like, you... But um, but 10 and 11 have just been be just wonderful. See, I don't know if you're into season 11 yet. I won't say a thing. No, I haven't. I haven't started it. Um, I will get to it. Excellent, Sheppy. It's excellent uh, so, again. So good. Yeah, so I'm very happy. I'm so happy. One other little quick observation I just want to make about Seinfeld is that it, it's loads of really random things. Like, for example, Tracy Letts, who I love, who's his playwright, um, he, he's in it. He looks a bit like Mike from Breaking Bad, um, like young Mike, like how he looks in, um, in Gremlins. But he's, he's in it, John Favreau is in it, and it's all these people who up before they were famous pop up in it, which is really nice. Um, I think, I mean, Terry Hatcher had been in lots of things, um, but, Still, she was in it before she was, you know, as famous and all of this. There's loads of examples like that, which is just, you know, it appeals to me. Jerry always having like some really beautiful girlfriend for like one episode, you never see them again. And often they're played by someone, you know, who went on to become something pretty big, which is nice as well. I like, I like the whole rich tapestry and the New York vibe. Oh, and by the way, like there are a lot of people from Twin Peaks who pop up in Seinfeld and it's the same sort of era like it's early Seinfeld and so it's like early 90s so it's right just after Twin Peaks and you've got a lot of people like a lot of people it's good stuff Doc Hayworth um, nice. Laura Palmer's mum I'm like married it's it's amazing um you've got the, the the lady with the marble rye and she's in Twin Peaks as well it's, it's very random yeah, it's good stuff. So, that's so an anyway, that's just episode, that. isn't it? They're throwing it up to the window and stuff. Yes, <laughs> it's as, yes, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Yes, oh, yes. I've got to so do a anyway, Seinfeld second lap. Uh, yeah. Makes me happy. <laughs> should we should we jump in, Shep? Please, I can't wait to hear yours. Do it. Wow. Look, just two things quickly before three things quickly before I do it. Nice. One, um, I have gone. A little bit like I well, actually, let me say this first. I had one curb that I knew I wanted to try and crowbar in, 
And despite what you're about to hear in terms of the plot lines, I, I didn't manage to. I just went with the story just channeled through me, if you know what I mean. Oh, that's but I, the way to do it. The one that will, I just can't resist telling you, it though, <laughs> one curb thought I had was that, you know, he basically goes to a restaurant and um, as they're leaving the restaurant, let's just say him and Jeff, um, Larry realises he needs to, to spend a, a penny and uh, goes back in to use the, the bathroom. And the maitre d', who's, of course, very snooty, is like, no, sir, it's customers only. And he's just paid his bill and settled his bill. But because he's left the building, he can't use the facility. Mm. And, uh, and, of course, you then play around with that. I was hoping yeah. to crowbar that into this. This does involve some toilet action, but it's not. Of course that. it does. <laughs> well, that's great. And, and let me say again, yeah, that, I mean, that's great. The fact that you can't crowbar in a really legitimately good curb idea is a very good and healthy sign for your episode, I think. We'll see, Sheppy, because then what happened was I went with it, and I won't say it necessarily went beyond what the Curb script normally does and and put gags in and stuff too much, but I have put a few gags in. I have put some moments I want to see which end up being greatest hits of what the characters do. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I won't even say it. When they land, you'll know what I mean, you know, and, um, but or, or even just to, to sprinkle it, you know, this is the opportunity to do your pretty, pretty good, you know, maybe here or that kind of stuff. Um, and, um, and then I, um, I have, uh, the final thing I'll just say is I just want to give kudos to the wife a little bit because she really, for not being a Curb fan, I just said to her, I'm in trouble here. I've got the pitch with Sheppy what am I going to do? Like, you know, I thought I had this big idea. I bloody lost it. And we were going away for the whole weekend for a Christmas yeah. thing with our cousins. And I said, you know what? That's a curb episode right there. I know. <laughs> and I said to her, that I, from memory, I don't think there's been a full, like, road trip episode of Curb, if you know what I mean. So yeah. maybe as I'm driving, let's knock around a few ideas and see if anything comes. I, I probably... 25% of this is that, if you know what I mean. But yeah. And I haven't even really focused on the road trip aspect too much anyway in the end. But So just wanted to give her some credit because, bless her, she was there and we knocked around a few great. ideas in the car and stuff. So that was very nice of her. But in the end, it came down to last night. I actually went off on one, came up with a new beginning and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I yada, oh, yada, yada. Oh, there you go. <laughs> a legit yada, yada, yada. I love it. <laughs> so anyway, without further ado, Sheppy. I have two titles of this episode. So one is the golf trip, but because it might not even involve, well, it doesn't involve even a single bit of golf, um, (laughs) it might also be called the crawfish pie as well. So we'll we'll just either title probably serve. Now I'm going to get his his name wrong. And given I'm an idiot with a W surname with 100 vowels in it, I don't know how I'm doing that. But is it Robert Wydey or Wyde? Oh, Wade? Wade? I want to anyway. see Wade. Wade, uh, you're I... afraid of everything made. I've never seen anything like it. But it might be Wade. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I, I'm yeah, going because like w... the I is after the E, so let's go mm. Wade. Um, okay. But our genius behind a lot of the best steps and Borat, for God's sake. So he's directing. Um, stacked with cameo, Sheppard. I'm going to give them to you as we go. So oh, I love it. I, so. Well, well, in that case, let me say now, that's another thing I love about the show. I love it when people play versions of themselves and they're unrepentingly unsympathetic. They're not winking to the camera, being like, oh, you know, like 
in lots of things like extras, for example, and things. But yeah, when people play a version of themselves um, and as a bit of a dick, um, that that always really appeals to me, and it makes me like that person very much in real life, even if they are dick in real life. It really works. So that's just another thing I really like about the show. I agree with you. What I love about it is that in I I think extras does it well. But I think Curb is probably the gold standard, isn't it? Because in extras, I feel yeah. like they just, it's just that little bit broad, isn't it? You've got like Kate Winslet being incredibly like over the right. top and you've got like, you know. It's its like own style for sure. It's just yeah. enough, like, because it feels so real in Curb, doesn't it? Like, yes. you've got Paul Razor not playing a bill or you've got like, you know, just enough yes. asshole that feels real, you know. And you're like, now that's Paul Reiser. Oh, that's good to know. And that's another EI. I should have bloody got that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we all know where the C comes in this occasion. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So first shot is just Larry driving into a petrol service station. And um, and he feel, as he's filling up, I just, you know how Larry's just very loose? I imagine that yes. with you and your buddy, like on a Friday night, yes. you know, just he's very loose, isn't he? And like, yeah. he's just like almost whistling to himself, loose, hanging around, you know, as he's, uh, uh, I've put Larry's chilling and filling up. Uh, it's a small oh, station. God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've got yeah. to say, because you've just really, and this is the first time I think I've ever put this, articulated it in my mind. He is loose and he's kind of got an invisible shield with this kind of loose confidence. And it's like Andy Dufresne is described as like, you know, an invisible shield yeah. protecting him. And it's that with Larry. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that, that really just popped in my head there. And it's, that's one of the big appeals. And walking into town with Steve with this loose, bouncy walk, it is this kind of like, it's not, it's the opposite of Macho, but it is kind of like what Macho is trying to do, which is just to say, give me your best shot. It will just bounce off. <laughs> agreed i've always been envious of his life and not just the billions that he must have but more just yeah. the carefree you know the days about lunch and you know yeah. or if they'll get the right tea time and all that sort of stuff yeah that's you know, amazing um <laughs> so anyway there is just chilling and filling up small station it's just one pump either side and the other pump is free um, a car comes into the lot behind larry as he's sort of broadly finishing up um, the, the the pump little, uh, you know, pet price gauge. The counter, yeah. Yeah, the counter says $50.03. And um, Larry takes the money clip out of his wallet. He's just got notes, no coins. Um, the other driver behind Larry honks his horn and pokes his head out the window. Funnily enough, it's Favreau in a cameo. No! <laughs> Not being Favreau. Well, maybe he is being Favreau. Brilliant. I don't know. But um, it's never <laughs> established. He's only a very small cameo. Uh, but, but he's like, hey, move forward. Like, and, uh, and, and so I've scripted a few bits, which wouldn't be scripted in the script of the idea. No, is, no. Know, but this is, is for, for the, this purpose. It's absolutely, I've done that as well. And it's absolutely fair enough because we're not writing an actual script. So to yeah. give an example is fair enough. Nice. No, so Favreau's like with the hey, move forward, you know, and Larry's like, move forward. And then Favreau's like, everyone knows you move forward to go and pay. It's just polite, you know. And Larry's like, well, the other side is free. And then Favreau's like, my tank's on this side. And Larry's like, just spin around and reverse it in. And Favreau's like, the, the nozzle won't stretch. Are you crazy? <laughs> of course it'll stretch. Move your car. They have a little <laughs> tussle. And, um, and Larry just walks away without moving. Like, what an arsehole like that. Anyway. 
Larry entered the service station. We got our second cameo straight off the bat because I've always wanted to see him in a curb and I think he's earned it. Um, we've got Kevin Pollock behind the counter. Oh, nice. And, um, and he is awesome. Like he's just one of these, he's just very fastidious about being a petrol attendant in what looks like a very boutique station. Obviously, we've only got two, um, two pumps. Um, so he's very fastidious, almost like he's at a five-star hotel. And he's like, Mr. David, lovely to see you again. If I remember from Wednesday, you're only a few points of one of our uh, little items here. And he's got this little carousel of um, bits and pieces, including some torches and stuff on the point system. And Larry like taps his pockets and he goes, oh, I've left my card in the glove box, you know, the little glove card. And I can't get, is there any way you could transfer the points, you know, when I'm here, uh, you know, and uh and Pollock is like, I'm afraid that would be completely out of the question, Mr. David, like because he just holds the rules. Yeah, right. And um, and Larry like considers for a moment, going back to the glove box, looks back, Favreau's revving his car. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, you know, and, and Pollock just goes, okay, fifty dollars and three cents. Uh, and Larry's like, oh look, I, I only have fifties and no change. I just uh, and he's like, fifty dollars and three cents. Uh, and then he goes, and Larry just says, if I could just appeal to your good nature. And then Larry gives it that little, you know, he shrugs. Yeah. And he's like, these pants are custom made and there's only one pocket. And then Pollock just looks incredulous. And Larry's like, it just, I, I have the change and then I can't keep my phone in there because it would get all scratched up and, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Like that. And Pollock just says, perhaps you could ask the gentleman outside if he could help you out, sir. And the horn blares from outside. It's Favreau just still being impatient. That's the end of the scene because, of course, that's how it ends. And Larry pulls in for dinner from the petrol station. That's the next, um, And it's going to be dinner at Michael Richard's house. Oh. As he's um, pulling into the driveway, um, his petrol light flashes amber as though it's empty and then back to normal again. And Larry just gives it a tap and just doesn't sort of think anything of it, but it's obviously a bit faulty. Now, a quick sidebar here, Sheppy. This episode will probably never get made, given what I'm going to do with Michael Richards in it, but oh. it's just because I've gone actually quite possibly over the line with it, but we'll see. Um, so anyway, dinner at Michael Richards. Jeff and Susie are there, of course, and they've actually brought Sammy with them as well. Sam, this is, I should have said as well, this is set like season 11 time. We're old Larry, no longer with Cheryl. Um, and Sammy, Jeff and Susie's daughter, is, you know, turning into a young lady. She's probably 15, mm. 16, you know. So she's come to the adults' dinner as well. Um, so anyway, Jeff and Larry, in this scene, I've done an establish here. So basically when Jeff and Larry are talking is I guess Miss Michael Richards and his wife are preparing the meal. We're establishing there's a great new golf course just out of town and they're going to go to it this weekend. Also establish that um, Larry is dating somebody new. We're not going to get to meet her in this episode, but she's sending him all sorts of crazy shit on the phone in terms of like naughty pickies. And, um, and Larry <laughs> shows a couple of the pictures to Jeff and it's like, Whoa, God. <laughs> 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 um, and then um, I, just before they're sitting down for dinner, um, he explains to Susie, you know, we can't actually look after the dog for the weekend. because Susie's going to be out of town um, as well. And then Michael Richards is coming through with the dinner says, oh, sure, no worries. Well, we'll look after him, no problem. You know, we'll look after the dog. And, um, and anyway, so they, uh, they sit down for the dinner. 
and um and sammy's there and so larry being really like you know when he's cool larry and he's really engaging and charming and he mm. says asks her a couple of things about school and is really nice about it and like everything is really happy and like really great bonhomie around the table sammy excuses herself to go to the bathroom and um and then they have dinner and it's an amazing crawfish pie and um, and they all remark on it. And Larry's like, this is amazing, Michael. You know, and he goes, yeah. And Michael's like, it's, it's the paprika. It's the paprika I use. And, like, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he goes, thank you, Larry. Thank you for the compliment. It's very nice. And, uh, and then Susie leans over and says, Larry, that was so nice of you with Sammy just now. That was really nice, making her feel welcome and that, you know. And then we just hear a little distant alert of a phone. And then we hear Sammy scream. <laughs> Larry's girlfriend sent some crazy outrageous pick on the phone <laughs> because he hasn't been able to keep the phone in the pocket. And um, and uh, Susie goes bananas with like a my poor innocent girl. And uh, Jeff, I, this has to be in the episode because it's like one of my favourite Jeff beats, gives a little silent, what the fuck? To Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and Larry's like, it was the coins, the coins. <laughs> and then... Um, as they're all they're, they're all leaving, you know, talking in the hallway, um, and um, and and Larry's like, uh, and Jeff's like, so you can still you're right to take the call, the dog, Michael, and Michael's like, yeah, 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 of course, we'll we'll take the dog, no problem, no problem, and then Michael just sort of goes, you know, with uh, food and incidentals, probably 50, 60, 60 bucks, something like that. <laughs> Larry's like oh okay so it's going to be a charge for that and Susie's just because she's still furious is like Larry you can pay for that like you know and then just flounces out so that's basically end of that scene we then have Larry and Leon talking in the kitchen and um and Larry is kind of getting some advice from Leon you know she's this girl she's sending me these crazy pictures and uh and Larry's and Leon's like you tapped it yeah Larry you tapped it and he's going and Larry's like no 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 are you kidding me you know, and, uh, and Leon's like, you got to send something back to her. you got to send something back to her. And Larry's like, what, what am I going to send back to her? And we established she's like a beautiful, like Larry is like punching way above his weight. We haven't seen her obviously, but you know, Larry's really into this girl and wants to kind of make her, you know, I guess, uh, happy. <laughs> but, but, but nothing has happened yet. You know, she hasn't seen anything. And Leon just says, uh, <laughs> Dick pic, Larry. You've got to send her a dick pic. <laughs> and Larry's like, I'm not sending her a dick pic. You know, Jesus. And the doorbell goes. And um, and it's Jeff. And uh, Susie is in the car, sunglasses <laughs> glowering at Larry. I love it how she glows. <laughs> and, and Jeff's about to like just come in with his golf clubs and stuff. And she calls out, Jeffrey, the dog, like that. And uh, and so Jeff and Larry come out to get the dog. And um, and Larry's like, you couldn't have dropped it off at Michael Richards' house on the way. I love how you always talk about people in both names as well. <laughs> you couldn't have dropped it off at Michael Richards' house on the way. And, uh, and Susie just gives it, just take the fucking dog, Larry. Just take the <laughs> Anyway. Um, and anyway, they come inside with the dog and everything. And as they come in, um, Jeff does this. I, I did this kind of, it was going to be at Jeff's house originally, this bit, but I wanted the Leon scene. So, um, but but essentially, Jeff does the, you know, how he does this little kind of come here, come yeah. here. What I've realized is that Jeff Garland is very good with silent comedy in a way. Like he knows his gestures and stuff. Yeah. He does a little come here to Larry. He goes, Susie got me this pie from the road, for the road from the bakery. It's a crawfish pie. Taste a bit of it. So they yeah. taste a bit of it. And, um, and basically, it, it tastes exactly like Michael Richards' pie. 
And, uh, and then they'll be like, but you took the compliment. You don't steal the compliment. That was someone else's compliment. You stole the bakery's compliment. Anyway, and uh, so they re-established Michael Richards might be cheating. That's classic. Um, on the way out, they are, they're taking Larry's car. Obviously, they stop for petrol on the way. The pump um, let's, it, 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 that he was on last time is occupied. Let's say Favreau's there this time again, like whatever it is. And... Um, and as they're there, like Larry starts reversing to do what he told the guy Favreau to do in the first place and go and use the other one. And he's like, Jesus, this guy is there all the time. It's like when you take a piss in a bar and you're on the same <laughs> clock as a stranger and you keep meaning at the fucking urinals, you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, it's, what's, what's this bloody clock? You know? Anyway, so he reverses into the other spot, demonstrates what to do, um, you know, properly stretches the pump round, fills up. And uh, goes into the store with Pollock is there again, being all fastidious again. And Larry gives it the ah, ha, ha, ooh. <laughs> and he's got a credit card to pay. And then he's got a, his points card and his points entitled him to the torch. So Larry has a little mini win in the middle there, which is lovely. And so he's all smart. That's nice. And um, so he goes to Michael Richards' house to drop the dog off and um, he drops it with, with Jeff. They're both outside and Michael's like, well, we'll just take him around the back. Uh, oh, sorry, Jeff is like, we'll just, we'll just take him around the back. And Michael's like, no, no, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll take it from here, Larry. We, we got this. And Larry's like, oh, you don't want us to see around the back? And then uh, basically this actually comes from a very specific real-life experience, Sheppy. This is probably G's biggest note. We dropped Cosmo off at daycare. And it became very awkward that they wouldn't let us see where the dog was going to go for the day. Oh. <laughs> and it was like, you don't want to see, you want to see around the back? And then anyway, like, you know, Larry's like, if we book a room, we want to see where the, what we're going to get in the room. Like, and they have this argument. They've dropped the dog off. They haven't seen around the back. And um, so Jeff and Larry are off on their golf trip. And of course, they start to get totally lost. And just before they lose phone reception, um, Leon and a separate scene has uh, seen. Now, this might have happened in Seinfeld or not. I don't know. I can see. Cause well, that's the other thing. Reading. Yeah, there might be loads of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was thinking the same about my my thing, but you've got to just plough on, really, because, yeah. yeah, there's always been something. But um, but so this this image is quite indelible for me, so I'm sure probably Kramer mm -hmm. has done this before, but Leon is in a street in LA and he sees Michael Richards with like 10 dogs, like walking uh. down the street like crazy, doing all this awesome physical comedy stuff. And, um, and Leon calls Larry and tells him about it. And, and it ends with the call with like a, don't fucking trust that guy, Larry. Don't fucking trust mm -hmm. him. <laughs> and Larry's like, stay on him. Stay on him like a detective. <laughs> Leon is gonna, and this is why it probably it's probably just too close to the bone to have Leon and Michael Richards at, at war with one another in this one, but it doesn't matter anyway. Leon oh, if that's it. your main problem, I don't think that's the that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. I thought like if Michael Richards calls him something nasty, then yeah, that's probably yeah. over the line. But just the fact that Leon is a man of color and he butts heads with Michael Richards, that's fine. That's cool. So we've got him being the detective. Larry and Jeff then lose phone reception. They go past a really, really dodgy looking road on the left. Really dodgy looking road. And um, and and uh, Jeff's like, Larry's like, was that the left? Because Larry's one Jeff driving and Jeff's the one with the map and they get a bit stressed. They, there's a gentleman with his van up ahead. So they stop and ask him for directions. 
was going to go with Nick Offerman being this guy, but I thought maybe Nick Offerman's been in Curb and he has. So I've gone Ooh. with, um, I, I, it might be miscasting, but I'd like to see him in, in Curb, so fuck it. It's Sudeikis. So Sudeikis oh. is in and he's playing a proper, like, out-of-town yokel, you know, and um, and he indicates to uh, to Larry the road they want to be taking is, is back on the right, essentially the dodgy one. And Larry has the opportunity to do his little da, 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 yeah. give him the eye and up and down, yeah. really, up on the right. It looks really okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so they don't take the road on the right because they're, they're worried about a deliverance style situation and end up getting super, super lost. Um, eventually running out of petrol because, of course, the indicator hasn't told them they're running low on petrol. And um, and and the, the, it started to get dark and, uh, and there's got to be something around here. And then Larry thinking, you know, he, he, just trying to read the map because I don't have a phone for the map. And, um, and the torch comes to the rescue for him. And uh, Larry approaches the packaging with a bit of trepidation because we know how he's had some packaging issues in the past and it yes. unpops really easily. And Larry's like, well, I've seen some pretty, pretty good packaging, but that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so we think he's got a win with the torch, but then there's no batteries with the torch. So uh, of course, that would have taken up the 10,000 points or whatever. Like, you know, so he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. And, um, and Jeff, meanwhile, while Larry's been there, uh, faffing with the batteries um, or lack of Jeff spots a light over a field and so they walk towards it turns out it's an old country bar sort of pub type thing but I don't know how many pubs the Americans really have but something like that you know I mean it's a bar yeah yeah and and um, now I want this to be like just for a couple of minutes. Larry's in his element. You think he's going to be a fish out of water, but actually he's just fucking the man. Like he walks in, he's brilliant at darts. He's like part of the gang. Like you know, it's not like America Wealth in London. They walk in and all heads mm-hmm. turn. Actually, Larry's kind of at one with the with the people. You know what I mean? He's in, and um, Leon calls Larry while they're in the bar, and um, and uh, he's outside Michael Richards's house, and he's hearing some weird noises coming from the backyard. And, um, and as he's on the phone and he's walking around to the front, he gets caught at the front door of Michael Richards' house and um, and caught with the phone in his hand with Michael Richards. He just says, uh, it's, it's Larry. He's, he's in trouble and needs our help, you know, because he's broken down. And so that's how we leave uh, Michael Richards and Leon for a moment. Larry and Jeff are playing darts, having a hoot. Um, Larry gets another message from this lady and, um, and it's another like eye waterer. And, um, and Jeff is like, you've got to give her, they've obviously had a couple of beers by this point. I, I, by the way, I can totally see you, right? That is a big bucket of wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, is the perfect line. And um, so Jeff is giving her, giving Larry pressure to send another big bucket of wrong back, finally get a picture done. So um, Larry's like, oh, get out of it, forget about it. Larry goes to the bathroom. Um, Sudeikis is there at the urinal. And, um, and as they're peeing, um, kind of, you know, a few away from one another, but as they're peeing, um, Sudeikis is like, you fellas take that right? And uh, Larry's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we took the right, we took the right. And Sudeikis is like, the beautiful stream up there, right? And uh, he goes, oh, hell of a stream, hell of a stream. <laughs> and, um, and Sudeikis is like, there's no stream up that way. And, uh, and Larry's like, oh, and Sudeikis uh, and Larry, Sudeikis walks out and Larry walks out and you know when he's got that little bit of a terrified look and he looks at Jeff and like, you know, things are about to go wrong. And um, 
Michael Richards has um, left his house to go and rescue Larry in his car. And Leon, uh, meanwhile, I don't quite know how that's how this has happened, but Leon has jumped the wall into the backyard um, to see what's going on. And there are, you know, let's just say 20 dogs all doing various little running on wheels and stuff to need some dough and all that kind of stuff. And basically <laughs> it's like a military operation <laughs> to um, like at, like at the back end of the bakery, basically. Wow. Um, so um, anyway, <laughs> so pure dog labor. Totally. So Larry goes to the, um, the, the Larry and Jeff having a few beers more. Um, Larry goes to the bathroom again, um, and uh, and is just about to take uh, and, and he's sort of you know you see it all in because Larry's a brilliant actor in terms of thinking with his head. You know, like mm. thinking. You know, you can see his brain computing. Yeah. Yes. So he gets himself from in the bathroom. He has to go from just about. To, he's taking his pee, and then he thinks. Maybe I could take that dick pic. Maybe I could take it right now. <laughs> so he basically undoes his trousers and uh, is about to take it when Sudeikis walks in again because, of course, they're on the same the same cycle. Right, <laughs> and, amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I'm laughing at my own gang. Then sorry. <laughs> then, uh, then, uh, then of course, cut to he and Jeff are just waiting outside, you know, in the cold uh, while they, while they wait for Mike Richards to come pick them up, which he does. And as they're driving along. Um, Michael Richards is uh, is like you know I'm happy to do it, Larry. Don't worry about it. Don't worry, you know, with the, no, no problem. You're a friend. You're an old friend. No problem. And uh, you know, with the petrol and towing, probably about two hundred bucks. You know, so it's not a friend's friend. <laughs> like, you know, it's another thing. Like, and um, and, uh, and Larry's like, okay, 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 all right. So it's him, Jeff, and Michael Richards in the cab, like you know, coming home. I'm assuming I don't know why, but I've got like. Michael Richards in a sort of a little transit van rather than being in a normal car. Like, do you know what I mean? It's the sure. three of them up front, like, you know. <laughs> and um, and um, anyway, Larry accepts his, he's got to pay him about 200 bucks. He's like, all right, all right. But, you know, you you didn't make the pies, did you? You didn't make the pies. <laughs> and, uh, and I can just see Michael Richards going with it. Oh, I made the pies, Larry. Yeah. I made the pies. Because <laughs> uh, times have been tough, but I made the pies. And, uh, and anyway, call comes through from Leon while they're in the cab, cab and um, and and Leon's like, Larry, this motherfucker's running a pet sweatshop over here right now. <laughs> and anyway, all comes in the cab, good. And like Larry's like, God, Michael, I'm sorry. And there's a bit of moment of pathos here. You know, I didn't realize times were, were so tough. And um, and and so anyway, they, they come in um, to the petrol station, our, our infamous petrol station from the whole episode, and. Um, and Michael's like, it's all good, Larry. It's all good. You know, he's like, I, I, I just got to get some uh, some petrol. Do you mind picking it up for me? And um, uh, and, and Larry's like, sure, sure. And um, and Pollock's behind the counter again. Um, and uh, and of course, uh, Larry's like, you know, your torch didn't work so well. And uh, and that's where we get the reveal of you know that the batteries that'll be another ten ten thousand points, Mister David. And Larry's like, right, right. And then we just see uh, Favreau drive past and he just honks his horn. I don't even know why. It's not even very logical. <laughs> but in the background, as Larry's just re- receiving this, batteries will be another 10,000 points, Mr. David. He just, Larry just looks to his right and um, <laughs> uh, 
Michael Richards has had to come in on the pump that isn't the right side, if you know what I mean. So he's trying yeah. to stretch the hose around, but he does it at pace in classic Kramer fashion. Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 kilometers now, he's going pretty fast. And of course, it doesn't stretch and just totally clotheslines himself <laughs> with the pump and falls over like, like Kramer would, you know. Like See it. Yeah. <laughs> Harry just sort of looks back at the attendant at uh, Pollock and then back at Kramer again. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the end of the act. Like, <laughs> that's uh, great. <laughs> you know, it occurs to me, first of all, I would watch the hell out of that. That's great. Um, I love it. And you know, I can really picture Kramer walking with loads of dogs. And I'm, I don't know, it, it might be that it's such a Kramer image that you can just see it. But in case it did happen, you could have Leon just see him walking another dog, not Jeff's yeah, dog, nice. for example, and that sort of goes. What, 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 what's this motherfucker do? So that could that could be a, a, an out if that was necessary. Yeah. Nice, nice. nice. Oh, I love uh, it! I love oh. it, Jimmy. Uh, no, really, I could watch that. Um, that's perfect. Um, lovely. I'm putting my hoodie on because I'm suddenly really cold. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was that was that was um, a proper app, and I could I would love to see that. And again, I'm in pure sedacious mood at the moment, so I would love to see him doing that and being like slightly threatening yeah. <laughs> towards Larry. <laughs> have and you everything. seen um, the? Thank you, Shep. It was lovely. And uh, have you seen the Mumford and Sons video with uh, Sedacious? No. And oh, mate, I'm going to send you the YouTube. Uh, for that um it's really good uh, i have to remember which song it is but it's sedacious and uh bateman and and it just gets better and better every time i watch it i'm going to flick you the oh, yeah lovely oh that's great yes please love nice lovely well um now i'm gonna say right up front mine's probably it's got a lot in there um but there are certain bits that could easily be deleted scenes and not interrupt the flow so I was considering taking out a couple of the scenes because even if it was like a solid chunky 30 minutes and it ran like boom, 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 it might over, I don't know, it depends on how long all the conversations go. But so I did consider taking things and restructuring it. But then in the end, I was just like, nah, that's what DVD extras are for. It's deleted scenes, it's fine. Um, so I just kept it all in. Um, but I'll, um, I'll get to it then, if you like, Jimbo. Go for a shit, so I'm excited. So mine is not up to date because, um, like I was saying, I like the producer's episode very uh, uh, season, which is season four, very much. So I thought this would be like basically how good it is. Um, it's riding the momentum of season four. So it's um, actually this is episode three of season five, which um, places it as uh, 2005 which is only relevant in one little way, which I'll get to later. But this, of course, means there's no Leon. He's still with Cheryl. That's what I call, like, golden peak uh, curb sort of moment. Oh, you see, Cosmo agreed. So <laughs> now it's got a weird title, which on, on the face of it doesn't appear to be very Kirby, but there is a reason for it, and maybe I'll, I'll get... I, I guess it'll come up when it comes up. But... Um, the title for season five, episode three, is uh, "Confessions in Ash." Um, so, so that oh. uh, "Confessions in Ash." <laughs> um, um, so, so there you go. Um, I'll, I'll just get get onto it then, really. 
So um, opening credits, bum, 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 ba, ba, pomp. Uh, we open, uh, it's LA. Larry is walking down a very well-to-do street, a very high-end street in Los Angeles. Um, and he's walking out of the NBC offices in, in Los Angeles. Um, and he stops near a busker who's uh, playing the guitar and singing the Neil Diamond classic, Solidary Man. Uh, Larry takes a moment and he stops and he enjoys the busker's rendition of this song. Um, and he, he, he puts $5 into the busker's guitar case. He's there playing the guitar and singing. Uh, Larry starts to walk away and the song ends and the busker starts playing uh, the Mariah Carey song, We Belong Together. Now, the reason I chose this song, I don't know anything about Mariah Carey particularly, but um, I thought this is 2005, so I did a bit of research. Well, I wanted to see, because it has to be a popular song. For a second, I thought about doing everything I do, I do it for you, you know, and have it Brian Adams. But, um, but I just checked 2005 and this song, We Belong Together by Mariah Carey was number one for 14 weeks which I think about rivals Brian Adams in 2005. So it's, it's topical, Jimmy, it's topical. Um, Larry doesn't like Mariah Carey, neither do I. So Larry stops and he turns back and he looks aghast with that Larry aghast face. Uh, and there's a moment and he walks back and he bends and to retrieve his money from, from the busker's guitar case. And the busker stops playing and he's like, hey, man, what, what the hell are you doing? Now, the busker isn't someone famous. Um, I've got some famous faces playing themselves, but everyone else we can just assume is someone who, like, turns up 10 years later in Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. But um, the busker, he's like, what are you doing? And Larry explains that he doesn't care for this song. In fact, he's pretty doggone tired of hearing it everywhere he goes. Uh, you know, he's like, I hear it in elevators, I hear it in shops, in cafes, in restaurants, I turn on the radio, poof, there it is. And frankly, I'm a little disappointed in you for playing it too. And the busker says, well, I like the song, people like the song, it's a very popular song. Uh, Larry does not like it and they get into it um, in, in the true Larry fashion. The ethics of false advertising come up. Larry was duped by the busker when he lured him in by playing Neil Diamond and then changed tack so drastically. Um, the busker counters this with the ethics of when the $5 stops being Larry's and starts being the busker's. You know, the busker says that as soon as that cash hits the guitar case, it stops being Larry's money and it becomes his. And then they really get into it. You can't take it back. There's no take back. Um, the busker also, it turns out, has a big chip on his shoulder about the clientele, quote unquote, he has when he's busking in these fancy areas like real, you know, Hollywood, Beverly Hills type area. He's sick of rich people taking advantage and taking, you know, treating the working man as shit. Larry's unsympathetic. You, know, you don't like it, go somewhere else. Um, it's also remarked upon that the sidewalks in LA all stink at the moment. Um, and here he is, the busker, singing his heart out, putting up with the smell, putting up with the people. The busker's like, people like you, you're so entitled. You give a tiny bit of cash uh, and then the, you think that makes you like the most important people in the world. And sometimes not even cash. Look at this. And he takes out of the guitar case like um, a half-stamped Starbucks loyalty card. He goes, one cheap fuck even asked for change. And look. And then he holds up this, like, this massive bottle 
<clears throat> like a massive glass bottle. In my mind, I see it shaped like a pineapple and it's like apparently like cologne or perfume or something. Like this morning, a lady evidently realized that this is the worst smelling perfume known to mankind and gave this to me. And it stinks. It's bullshit. You're bullshit. Now give me back my $5 and fuck off. And Larry reluctantly gives back the cash. And, but he walks away screaming, you know, pointing at the busker, being like, false bill of rights, no false advertising allowed, play diamond or carry, but not both. So, uh, you know, so they, they end up screaming at each other. We cut, uh, Larry gets back home to, you know, his house, he, he gets in and he finds uh, Cheryl is there. Um, and apparently we're told the plumber has also come around uh, to fix a, a leaky faucet. Um, Larry gets into it a bit with Cheryl about the stinking sidewalks that currently plague LA. We discover that Cheryl, it seems, is partially to blame because we learn that there's a new spray being used uh, for cleaning the streets in Los Angeles. And it's this so-called, uh, well, it's like an eco-friendly solution, which is great for the environment, but very, very smelly. Um, and Cheryl was a big supporter and got this, you know, right passed, you know, the bill passed or whatever to get LA to use this solution to clean the streets in order eco-campaigning. But now everyone is regretting it. Everything's a bit smelly outside. And, you know, she's not going to back down, but we suspect she might regret it a little bit too. Uh, Cheryl changes track and asks Larry how the NBC thing went. And we learn that Larry's taken on a job as a script doctor, polishing the script for the pilot of a new, very high-profile sitcom which NBC is putting out. He's, of course, Larry is very reluctant, but he was pressured by Cheryl and by Jeff, of course, and the head of NBC, who feels that Larry owes him a favor. And also Larry's trying to keep the head of NBC sweet because um, the, the head of NBC is helping Larry keep the residuals from Seinfeld after a contract loophole was discovered. Um, so Larry doesn't want to you know, upset things and you know, keep on his good side. So that's another reason he's doing this uh, script doctoring, script polish. So Larry says he has to go back to the studio later that day with Jeff, who's coming to pick him up um, a bit later. Uh, Cheryl's regretful, quote unquote, uh, that says that she'll be gone when Jeff arrives as she's meeting some friends. But she tells Larry, right, we'll go to the meeting at NBC with Jeff. But first, get some exercise, um, you know, because, you know, take a jog or something, because we've discovered that uh, Larry hasn't been playing golf much and he hasn't been getting exercise. And she says, you know, at, at your age, you need to stay in shape. Like, My age, what are you talking about? I'm crazy. So she tells him, take a jog, just take a jog. He goes, I, I don't jog. Uh, you don't see Jews jogging. Goes, take a jog, Larry. Um, take a jog. You'll be, you'll, 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 you know, the endorphins, you'll be, you'll hit the NBC meeting. You'll be firing on all thrusters. Um, we also discover the executive who's in charge of this sitcom is called Niles Blaine. Um, and so Larry's meeting him as well as the two stars of a show. And we might discover who those stars are now, but I, I won't reveal it until we meet them. Um, the, then the um, amiable plumber reemerges and tells them both that he's found a major problem with the pipes in the house. And, you know, Larry's all like, well, we called you to fix a leaky faucet. Um, and, you know, he has a bit of a disagreement with the plumber. Uh, but Larry's sort of in the wrong, as he sometimes is. And he thinks that the plumber is trying to con him 
So he's like, yeah, you know what, uh, just leave it, just leave it. And the plumber's like, okay. So Cheryl isn't convinced that Larry's made the right decision. And Larry's like, trust me, it's the same with every plumber, handyman, electrician, and mechanic I've ever met. They'll squeeze you dry. Where's my car? Like that garage has been holding my car for almost a week. And for what? For what? And Cheryl's like, okay, and goes out. So Larry goes for a jog around the neighborhood. And Jeffy, he's jogging. Say, you're making me miss the Lara the Sherry dynamic. Yeah, I like that dynamic. It's nice. Um, so Larry goes for a jog around the neighborhood and he's really sweaty as, you know, as Larry can get. And he's, he's not looking very happy. And he's jogging as he's jogging along the street in this nice, you know, neighborhood where he lives. A street cleaning truck passes him and sprays, you know, this cleaning solution over the curb and the sidewalk and just sprays Larry as it passes him, covering him. And he, of course, is stricken and he's pure Larry, like, ah, ah, ah. Um, so he comes home and he's all sweaty and he's covered in this cleaning mixture and he's panting and it's nasty. He smells himself and reacts to the obviously very strong smell. Um, and, you know, the street spray is indeed rancid. So he goes upstairs to have a shower and he strips off and he gets in the shower, but there's no water. And he's trying, he's like, what the fuck? Uh, and he tries more taps around, you know, in the bathroom and nothing. He goes to the bedroom window and he looks out into the garden and the pipes have burst and the garden is just like being flooded. And he reacts to that. Uh, during this, Jeff has let himself in downstairs. Larry comes down in like a towel or something and they both look into the garden and they're both like, oh my God. And, you know, but Jeff is like, we don't have time for this. I've got to take you to NBC. We've got the big meeting. We've got the big meeting. Uh, but, but, he, but Larry stinks. And Jeff points out, like, you're, you're, like a, you're like a burst sewage main right next to a skunk farm. And uh, Larry tries using, like, some bottled water from the fridge to, like, splash over him. But it's woefully ineffective. So he puts on some nice clothes. Um, but he obviously still stinks. And Jeff is like, you know, that's just like wrapping a turd in a scented napkin. So uh, a big deal is made about how much Larry smells. Um, and he's like, you know, not all of it is the rancid uh, spray. Some of it is just my sweat. Oh, it still stinks, Larry. So he asks Jeff if, we, if he can take a shower at his house on the way to the meeting. They're going to be late, but Jeff drives him to his house with the windows down. Uh, and, you know, Jeff is sticking his head out of the window as he's driving because <laughs> uh, it's really smelly. Um, so um, in the driveway to Jeff's, uh, they meet Susie and she's in a bad mood and she sticks her head into the car to berate Jeff and she reacts to this smell. And, you know, she's obviously very rude to Larry about the smell and rude to Jeff about letting him into the car, which now, as she says, stinks like a decaying hobo. She refuses to let Larry into the house, lest he make everything stink, you know. I'm not going to have you contaminate my house. No, no fucking way. So to Jeff, she's like, and you, you let him in the car and now the car stinks too. You fucking moron. Jesus fucking Mary and Christ, Larry. You smell like you took a bath in cat piss. Um, so we learn that that evening, Jeff is meant to be taking Susie to this big awards show that evening. Um, and she's doubly angry now because she doesn't want the smell to rub off on Jeff. You know, it's, it's bad enough being seen in public with this fat fuck without you going and making him stink like you, you cat cunt. Um, so they leave. 
Uh, Larry asks Jeff, like, you know, can we can we swing by your office? I know you've got a shower there, but it's too far away. There's no time. You know, we've got important people meeting them in NBC. Jeff said, uh, now uh, one possible deleted scene, but Jeff says, why not use a shower at your office, Larry? Uh, but we learn that the building's either being fumigated or renovated, or it just doesn't have a shower. And Larry's like, why do people all assume that every office in LA has like a walk-in shower? And Jeff is like, because everyone knows people in LA all secretly stink. So they drive to the NBC TV network offices. As they walk in, a music producer friend of Jeff's intercepts them in the lobby for a stop and chat. He reacts also to Larry's smell um, and people just passing by are all kind of reacting in the background as well. Um, we, we learn that this guy, he represents Mariah Carey, who is performing at the awards show that evening. Uh, to the producer, Larry's like, let me ask you this. Aren't you even just a little bit sick of that song by now? I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, and the producer evidently is not sick at all. And he takes umbrage at this and he leaves under a cloud. Um, then Larry and Jeff have an uncomfortable ride in the elevator where people are obviously reacting also to the stink and they meet the NBC exec. Sheffy, uh, sorry and... to interrupt you. I just want to say there's one little opportunity in the elevator to have the Mariah Carey song tinkling like piano yes, music in the elevator. Yes, well. <laughs> and Larry's just like, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jimmy. That's great, that's gold. Um, so uh, they meet the NBC exec um, and the stars of the sitcom. And the stars are Jim Carrey and Anthony Hopkins. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, so it's tense and it's an awkward meeting uh, where both everyone is are obviously aware of the smell coming from Larry, but everyone's trying their best to pretend it's not there, but they fail and eventually they break and they have to address the stench. And Jim Carrey's like, you know, thinking, uh, this is 2005, Jim Carrey, of course, he thinks that Larry is taking part in some sort of protest by not washing. He's like, let me guess, protest, right? And uh, he goes through a list of all the possible causes which, you know, Larry might be doing a dirty protest for. And Larry's trying to deny it, but Jeff is worried that they'll think that Larry's an unhygienic slob. And so he agrees with Carrey talking over Larry. And Jeff is like, oh, yeah. Big protester, this one, very worthy, all the causes, all the causes, and all of that. Hopkins is like, well, let's hope the outcome is worth it. The smell really is quite remarkable. Um, so we, they go, uh, they're in the office, or maybe they're on the sitcom set. Now, we learn that Hopkins was hired for this to lend this uh, production this gravitas weight and dramatic backbone kind of like jason alexander was when you know not not to that extent but you know to counter that balance with jerry who had no dramatic acting so it's it's this sort of aspect because you know, you've got jim carrey who's very very wacky of course so they wanted this big strong and you know they're very happy that nbc are beside themselves that they got hopkins to you know to do this hopkins himself we learn took the job as he's sick and tired of always playing dramatic roles. He's even nominated for an award for best actor in a dramatic role at the awards show that evening. Um, but there's trouble. Uh, Carrie, Jim Carrey is furious because Hopkins, it turns out, is, uh, is hysterical on set. He's very funny, apparently. And he's been really amazing in the rehearsals and he's very good, apparently, at improv. 
and he and he himself, Anthony Hopkins, has discovered to his own surprise that he loves comedy. Uh, the cast and crew laugh at everything he does, so he's really leaning into it. Uh, he's funny as fuck, and Jim Carrey is not happy about it. So Carrey gets Larry alone, breathing through his T-shirt with like an air freshener that he scooped up a nearby table, I see, just to try and not breathe it in. And he says like he wants Larry to give him the best lines and keep, you know, keep Hopkins in the drama where he belongs. Hopkins, meanwhile, is definitely going the other way. He now corners Larry, wanting to make his character more wacky and has a lot of ideas. Uh, Anthony Hopkins says to Larry, like, uh, why don't I wear those big sunglasses, you know, like Elton John. People love those things. Novelty glasses. Very funny. He even wants Larry to write him a funny acceptance speech. Should he win at the awards that evening? Larry points out the film he's nominated for is about a blind priest in a Nazi concentration camp. So jokes aren't really going to be appropriate should he win. But Hopkins is like, ah, yes, and that's why they won't see it coming. Uh, meeting over and Jeff and Larry uh, walk out. Maybe they're going to a cafe nearby the, the NBC building and they pass the same busker from that morning. Jeff yeah, actually takes out his wallet and he's going to give some money to the busker. But Larry puts an arm on it, you know, puts a hand on his arm and stops him. But the busker sees this and is furious. He races over and insults are thrown back and forth. And the busker loses it and he throws this huge bottle of very cheap cologne from the pineapple bottle all over Larry. Um, and indeed, some of the, this very smelly shit and some splashes on Jeff. And, you know, Jeff, what the fuck? You know, both are reacting. Jeff is very angry and he goes home. Um, uh, you know, and he's, he's he doesn't want any more nasty smell in the car. Susie's gonna kill me! Um, and, he, and he's so angry with Larry for getting him into this situation that he doesn't drive him home, and he leaves him basically stranded in in LA in here in, in this street. So Larry now smells worse than ever. Uh, he tries to take a cab, but no one will let him in. Um, there's, there's a shot of Larry on the bus looking really upset. Uh, and, all, and the rest of the passengers are all crammed to the far end away from him. Um, Larry gets home and finds a fuming Cheryl who's there at home with Wanda. Uh, the garden is flooded, of course, and Cheryl is livid. And both also comment on Larry's stink. Um, Cheryl doesn't want him in the house. Wanda uh, says nasty things to him about stinking like an aged hooker's flange. Uh, Larry is like, well, I wouldn't know what an aged hooker smells like. And Wanda, Wanda's like, uh, oh, sure, you like him young, huh? Uh, they tell him to change clothes again, uh, and he refuses, though, saying, why should I ruin more clothes if I'm going to stink anyway? They say, go to the neighbor's house. Use the shower there, but Larry refuses. It's like that's embarrassing. I never speak to them. I can't go around saying, "Oh, you can use your shower." The ladies are like, "Oh, you're embarrassed to ask to use the neighbor's shower, but not to walk around meeting Sir Anthony Hopkins smelling like." And Wanda says, "A sailor's dick after a shore leave in a morgue." Uh, he he asks if he can use the shower at Wanda's, uh, but she's not up for it. You know, I'm not having some stinky ass white dude stinking up my shower with his stinky ass white man stank. So Larry wants to therefore use Cheryl's car because his is in the shop. But she says, no way, you stink. Um, so Larry has to use the, like, the little car, this really, really comically tiny car 
which Cheryl used to drive, um, which they haven't used for ages. So he's in his tiny car and he drives to his golf club uh, to use the showers there. He's on his way in and he's stopped at the entrance by a snooty manager type. Now he's got a chip on his cho uh, shoulder, uh, chip on his shoulder because Larry hasn't been there in ages. Um, he's also unhappy that people have been using the facilities in the club without actually playing golf. And he notices that Larry isn't carrying clubs and it all comes out and he and Larry get into it. And the manager, who's a real Ferris Bueller type, snooty, snotty type, is like, you know, the golf club is for golf players. And Larry's like, well, yeah, I play golf. I play golf. And what? I can't use anything else. What if I want to use the restaurant? I pay my bills. What? And uh, the guy's like, this is a golf club with a restaurant, not a restaurant where you play golf, Mr. David. And anyway, there's no way I can allow you into anywhere where they prepare food. You smell, Mr. David. Oh, yeah, no shit. Why do you think I want to shower? The stench coming off you, I'd say you'd have better result using a garden hose and a mop. Uh, Larry has to leave. So Larry goes outside. He calls Lewis. Um, he explains the problem and he says, can I go to your house, Lewis, and, and use the shower? Lewis is like, I, you know, he'd love to help, but he's in New York at the moment and refuses to give Larry uh, the security code to his house. So they, they get into it and they argue. Um, he tells Larry to go to a hotel and use a shower there. Yeah? You got the money, you cheap Jew. So Larry go, tries going to a nice hotel. Um, and so he goes in there and in the foyer in this lovely, lovely hotel in Beverly Hills, he's accosted by Mariah Carey. Uh, she sees him. She runs over. She's heard from her producer that he doesn't like her song. She's very, very angry. So Mariah Carey is like, what if I told all my fans not to watch your show? How about that? Did you stop and think that maybe people are sick of your shit, Larry? I turn on my TV day and night, and there it is. Your dumbass show with dumbass music. You're sick of me? Well, I've been sick of you longer. So she gets right up in his face, but then reacts to the smell, and she cuts herself off, and she starts by gagging and heaving, and she's like, oh, my God, you smell like Bon Jovi's tour bus. Uh, this all upsets the hotel maitre d' who, who slides over and he's all like, you know, excuse me, sir, uh, you know, can, can you please refrain from making Miss Carey dry heave? It's upsetting the guests. And uh, you know, Mariah Carey is heaving and she grabs like a really nice vase by the reception desk to like heave into that. And she's like between heaves, you sick fuck, Larry David. So Larry says to the maitre d', look, can I just use a shower? Yeah, you know, uh, this will all be over if I can just use a shower. Uh, and the maitre d's like, the, the showers are for paying guests only. So Larry says, oh, look, just give me the cheapest room. And the maitre d' doesn't like that. And he's very snobby about it. And all the while, while he's covering his mouth and nose and he's spraying air freshener everywhere. And also, Larry only wants to pay for the room for an hour. And that doesn't go across well. <laughs> and, and, so, and the maitre d' is like, this isn't a seedy motel, sir. So... Larry goes to a seedy motel. Uh, he, it's right across the road anyway, around the corner. But the owner there is, is like a real nasty motel seedy. He's a pimp. And he tries to set Larry up with a prostitute. Only an hour, sure. You know, take this lady, take this lady. And the prostitute's right there next to him. And Larry's like, what? No, what are you nuts? And that insults both the lady and the pimp motel owner. 
And the owner's like, oh, so you're too good for my place. You're too good for my girls with a stink coming like, like that coming off you. Where do you get off? And the prostitute's like, you won't be getting off here. I'll tell you that. Um, so, so Larry's like, oh, forget it, forget it. So he tries to leave, but he's being heckled now by a gaggle of prostitutes all the way to his car. And he's trying to shoo them off and they're flocking around him, giving him shit. Uh, he's actually seen by Wanda, who's waiting at the lights in her car across the room. And she's like, oh, hell no. Uh, Larry gets in the car um, and he takes a call from Niles Blaine, the, the, the NBC network executive. More problems. Now we learn Jim Carrey is refusing to work with Hopkins until he is given some funnier material than his co-star. Larry is told, get over there right away and fix the problem. Uh, but only after he's taken care of his hygiene issue. So Larry, now this is a possible another deleted scene, Larry drives to his dad's place uh, to, uh, to use the shower there, but the dad is in the middle of a massage um, from a particularly buxom masseuse, and he won't let Larry in as he doesn't want his stinking son to ruin the mood. Larry is upset, Larry gives up, he drives home, he tries to ask the neighbour for a shower, but they're furious about the flooded garden, so they're not having any of it. Back in the car, Larry takes another call from an increasingly stressed Niles Blaine, the TV exec. And he's like, where are you? And we learned that the Hopkins-Jim Carrey situation is escalating even more. Now it's Hopkins. He wants more and more and more wackiness. Um, He's, he's the, any chance of gravitas is out the window. He's also started playing practical jokes on everyone uh, in the cast and the crew, resulting in massive delays and cost. And the exec is furious. Larry arrives at the network and is immediately accosted by Jim Carrey again. Um, Larry stinks even worse, of course, at this point, and Carrey reacts. He's very impressed, actually, by Larry's commitment to the cause. Uh, Carrie's like, you know, man, you've really gone all in. I haven't smelled anything like this since Val Kilmer's liposuction bucket. At his wit's end, Larry goes to his own office, and this is another potential deleted scene. He goes to his own office then, to, uh, which is being fumigated um, in this scenario, and he tries to get in under the tarpaulin, but the fumes are too much, and he can't reach his office or his shower. And he coughs and hacks, and he has to leave, and now the fumes have made him smell even more gets back into his little car, reacting to the smell that's already waiting for him inside. Now he gets a call from Jeff. Jeff is losing his mind and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Everyone's furious. And what is it with you and Carrie? And he's like, which one, Jim or Mariah? He's like, who cares? Just knock it off. NBC is giving me holy hell. So we learn that Jim Carrey is now refusing to shower, saying it's solidarity for Larry's cause without knowing what the cause is. He's pouring apparently as much crazy smelly shit all over himself as much as he can. It's his dirty protest against the network for allowing Hopkins to get all the best stuff. And uh, for that to continue, Larry is told he must go and sort out the mess as Jim Carrey will only listen to him. He's told, take a shower. If you're not part of the protest, then wash it off. And Larry's like, oh, really? Wash it off? So can I use your shower now? How about that? Jeff hangs up. So Larry goes back to the network. The busker, who's still outside the building, sees him, and he runs over. 
and we learn that he's being paid $1,000 by Mariah Carey's manager to, uh, under her orders, to follow Larry around now playing the song. Uh, so Larry is now chased um, up and into NBC by the busker. He runs in. Jim Carrey is, looks like he might be, he's about to be talked into showering, but then he sees and, well, smells, or maybe he smells and then sees Larry and raises a solidarity fists and holds up a huge bottle filled with this weird, horrible green liquid. And he starts pouring it all over himself, being like, yeah, yeah, dirty protest, dirty protest. So Larry runs over and tries to stop him, but Carrie pours it all over Larry, thinking that's what he wants. So Larry has never smelled worse. Uh, Larry has to get another meeting with Hopkins, who's about to leave for the day to head to this awards show. Hopkins is gagging at the smell, but has gone off the deep end himself now. He's wearing like loud clothing. He's carrying a rubber chicken everywhere he goes. He'll only respond when addressed as your royal horse, Schlong. Hopkins is like, Schlong, it means penis, you know. And Larry's like, you're not going to the awards dressed like that, are you, sir? And uh, Hopkins is like, oh, I suppose that's not the dumb thing to do. And yet here you are smelling like a Blenathan working man's club on a Sunday morning. Vomit, beer, and pickled eggs. Uh, Larry asks if he can use the, the shower in Anthony Hopkins' uh, dressing room. Um, and Hopkins says, yes, yes, of course. So Larry's like, oh, thank you. He goes in, he, he strips, he gets in Hopkins' shower, but Hopkins has turned off the water and plays one of his famous practical jokes on him uh, and pours, he sneaks in and pours a massive bucket of Jim Carrey's very smelly shit over the shower curtain and onto Larry, <laughs> and the smell is suitably epic. Larry screams at Hopkins, who laughs with impish delight. Larry bursts from the trailer uh, in gagging fury, and Carrie sees this and immediately demands to have whatever Larry has now covered himself in. Um, the executive, Niles Blaine, sees all of this and has had enough, and he, he kicks Larry out. Larry is ejected from the network under nose holding security. He's thrown out, the busker's waiting for him, immediately runs over, starts chasing him across the car park while singing and playing the Mariah, Mariah Carey song. Larry runs um, to get, but he finds that his car has been towed away due to complaints from the other car owners due to the smell. So we cut again to Larry on the bus. And as before, everyone is crammed into the far side away from him, but now we pull out to reveal the busker is right next to him, still singing and playing. Larry's not happy. Um, we see the bus driving down the street. Uh, the busker's playing is audible, and the bus driver is driving with his head sticking out the window like Jeff. Um, Larry gets off at his stop, still being accosted by the busker, who's well into his 30th-plus rendition. He follows Larry right up the path, to Larry's uh, front door to his house. Uh, just outside the door, Larry gets a phone call and it's Jeff. Um, so, you know, Larry's there on the phone with one finger in his ear trying to block out the busker's singing. Um, Jeff is at the awards with Susie and we cut to this and she's furious as thanks to Larry making the car stink and making Jeff stink, now she stinks too and no one wants to sit with them at this uh, awards. And she screams into Jeff's phone, 
We were snubbed by Art Garfunkel, there. Art fucking Garfunkel. Have you ever been shunned by a beatnik because you smell so bad? A beatnik, lair. It's fucking mortifying. Uh, Jeff has bigger fish to fry and is also furious as we now discover the sitcom's been cancelled. Jeff screams into the phone, what the hell did you do? He goes on to say that uh, obviously the head of NBC is beside himself with rage about this. So the Seinfeld royalties are all but lost. Now, during this, the winner, uh, well, the, the, the nominations are read out for best actor in a dramatic role. And we now, we learn that the title of the, um, the, the blind priest Holocaust film is uh, which Hopkins is in, um, and it's called the title of this episode, The uh, Confessions in Ash, I believe, which is terribly, terribly inappropriate and, and dark. Um, and we might even see a little clip of Hopkins from the film, you know, in the, but, he, but Hopkins wins um, and he comes up um, and, and we, we don't see, we just see Susie and Jeff and we see Susie staring at the stage and she says, holy fucking shit stained balls. And then Jeff looks at the stage too. And we see Hopkins is accepting his awards for the blind Holocaust priest film. And he's wearing like a Bernie Clifton sort of giant ostrich costume replete with the fake legs on the side. And he's also wearing the, you know, the massive novelty sunglasses and he still is carrying the rubber chicken. And we hear Hopkins address the announcer saying, I told you it's not Anthony Hopkins. It's your Royal Horse Schlong, Schlong, like penis, you know. And in the background, we see Jim Carrey is being refused admittance due to his smell and the security are dragging him away. And as he's forcibly ejected by the gagging security, Jim Carrey's like, fight the power. You can't silence the message. And as he's being dragged out, he passes Mariah Carey, who's on her way in to perform her song on stage. And Jim stops struggling for one second and says like amiably, oh, hi, Mariah. And Mariah turns to greet him, catches his smell, and she starts reacting violently and immediately she starts to gag again. And she's walking on stage because she's announced and it's like an hour to perform her song. And she's like, you know, heaving and she tries to start singing and she's got a microphone, but she can't get it out. And she's really, really heaving uncontrollably. Uh, it's pandemonium. We cut back to Larry and he's hearing the tremendous commotion down the phone and he hangs up. And, and he lets himself into the house and he slams the front door on the busker um, and he turns from the door and comes face to face with Wanda and uh, Cheryl and both are staring daggers at him. And Cheryl's like, prostitutes, Larry, and the smell, Larry. And we cut and it's the last shot of the episode and Larry is in the flooded garden in his underwear being hosed down with freezing water by Cheryl as Wanda looks on. On the other side of the garden wall out in the street, the busker is still playing and singing at the top of his voice as Larry is reacting, gasping at the industrial strength power hose and Wanda's like, music to my motherfucking ears. And she throws Larry a mop and bum, 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 ba, 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 ba. And it's the end of the episode. Amazing. Sheppy, holy shit. Holy shit. I just, um, yeah, I always, we've talked about this before, like the problem with our international Zoomage is that whenever I chuckle at your stuff, it comes out as like a, 
just, I couldn't resist, man. I was off mute for most of that, but it was just too lovely. I had to like just give you your due because the busker is a recurring gang. I think my favorite of them is the bus pullback in his ass next to I feel like that would suit like a kind of a, it would almost be the best possible. I mean, I know you set it with Cheryl and Wonder. I'm really glad you brought Wonder back because I miss her. But the, um, but honestly, like it started with a one-off special, didn't it, Curb? And like at the very end of it, that would be a brilliant hour long. You'd need to go an hour to give it full justice and get lots of Hopkins carry scenes as well. You know, yeah. he really is doing that. But um, I feel like if you wanted to cap Curb and put an hour end, Maybe that's it. Maybe he'd be back with Cheryl then anyway, but him losing everything as well is perfect. You know, actually, if he loses all his royalties too, you could have that as the final ever Curb episode. Well, I, I guess you could have it like season five, by the way, in real life was the one, the main storyline was um, Richard Lewis needs a new kidney and Larry discovers that he might have been adopted. So you could technically God, substitute... That. Yeah, so that, that's why I thought even that's why Lewis could be in New York because he's going to see his family doctor. That may be too convoluted or unnecessary, but either way, instead of like the the finale of the entire show, theoretically this season the the over arc could be him working on this, um, you know, this sitcom, and so then the season five finale could be this theoretically if it did pad it out to you know, maybe 45 minutes or something, show show the clips and you know, something like that. Yeah, but I really wanted this era. Um, I think that's important too. Yeah, but I thank you, Jimmy. That's lovely. Incidentally, um, the busker thing. <laughs> Which one? Who cares? <laughs> um, the busker thing is the thing that happened to me in real life. I mean, obviously I didn't, what was happening, this is like around 2008 or something, and I was walking up Guildford High Street on my lunch break, and there was a busker, and I think he was playing all-time high. It was either that or nobody does it better, but I'm pretty sure it was all-time high. And, you know, I have a special affiliation, a special love for Octopussy, so I think I flipped him 50p, which, you know, is 50p, come on now. Um, and, and he finished the song, and I was walking away, and he started playing, like... Justin Bieber or something and I really wanted to go back and take the 50p back and I and that that's been on my mind for like over 10 years of that being a real Kirby sort of moment so Honestly, there you go I, feel, I love that I love that and I one thing I love about it is like are you paying for the song you're listening to or are you paying for the next one as well you know there's yeah. something there too isn't there and when you're not there or, or you're paying for his work and the song if you like the song then that's going to like you know you, you know get you to do it but you're, you're you're not paying for the song you're paying for my hard work i've been out here i've got blisters on my fingers <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's yeah yeah I, i'm really right. glad he didn't go with like a cameo there and have it as brian adams or something stupid you know because mm -hmm. he'd play the guitar he play electric guitar in the middle of show with boris but that's another story um, yeah right but the um but i'm really glad you did because i kind of like that vibe of it being 
a bit like the blind pian- pianist and Curb as well. You know that guy, like a, a right. guy that could come back and haunt him in a future season. Like he can't go to a restaurant because he's playing outside or something. <laughs> but Sheppy, <laughs> that was glorious, glorious. I'm all over that, all over it. And like I say, it makes me miss the Larry and Cheryl kind of dynamic and wonder as well. Particularly, I think we lost a. Well, like any divorce, right? You lose the friends too, don't you? It's, it's tough. It's tough. And well, Sheppy, that was a that's treat. It. All that's left is what what are we doing next time? Well, Jimmy, I was trying so hard to 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 find something for this selection, which wasn't from the 80s. Um, something perhaps with even a bit more gravitas and something like, you know, to really get our teeth into. <laughs> Uh, and I failed, Jimmy. I failed. Uh, it's, a, it's a failure because what I've got, Jimmy, is the opposite of all that. It's pure 80s. It's random as fuck. Um, perhaps not quite as random as Flight of the Navigator, but not a million miles away, just to let you brace yourself now. Um, what I want from you, Jimmy, and from me, and from the world at large, essentially, I want a sequel to Team Wolf. I want. I don't want Jason Bateman. I don't want T-O-O, I want two, T-W-O, I want Jay Fox, and I want to see what happens to that character, Scott Howard, next. Team Wolf 2, Jimmy. Wow, that's wonderful. I love it. I love it. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) It's a howling good time. That's rubbish right off the bat. Terrible, really. Will we uh, see him go to New York and become the Wolf of Wall Street? Who knows? <laughs> That's the secret of my success in Wall Street. Howling good time, rubbish again. Uh, there you go. Yes. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Love it. Uh, love it. Have we got a sign-off? I don't know. What have we got uh, in the clip? Oh, you, you know, whatever we need, it better be good, Jimmy. It better be pretty. Pretty, pretty good. But I can't think of anything, can you? Bam, 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 We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 